Hello and welcome to Contemplative Episcopalian, a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We are a faith community located in downtown Beloit, Wisconsin. I'm Father T.J. Humphrey, and for this episode we're doing something a little bit different because of the coronavirus outbreak and how it's getting closer and closer to our area. Um, some people have opted not to come um, to church wisely um, on uh, on Sunday. Um, it's March 15th, 2020 currently. We are continuing to have services at this time, modified, heavily modified and precautious services um, for the time being. That may change. But for right now, um, we, we're continuing to go. Um, and I wanted to provide more than just a homily um, and more than just one reading um, for people who opt to stay home but still want to tune in. And so for this service, we for this podcast, we actually have um, a morning prayer service that people can pray along with and hear all of the readings for um, Sunday morning and also hear the sermon. Um, and we'll continue to do that for the foreseeable future, just um, especially if we end up get to the point where we end up having to close and cancel our services for a few weeks. So thank you for tuning in again. Um, The name of the homily in this service is just simply The Samaritan Woman. Our service begins on page 76 of the Book of Common Prayer. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and repents of evil. The service continues on page 79. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The service continues on page 80. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Lord, open our lips. And our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory Glory to to the the Father, and and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and and will be forever. Amen. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Come, Come let, us let us adore him. We will say the Venite together on page 82. Come, Come let, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth, and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee, and kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, 
and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Come, let us adore him. Our psalm for this morning is Psalm 95, found on page 724 of the Book of Common Prayer. We will pray the psalm together responsively by whole verse. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. Harden not your hearts as your forebears did in the wilderness at Meribah and on that day at Massa when they tempted me. They put me to the test, though they had seen my works. Forty years long, I detested that generation and said, This people are wayward in their hearts. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Glory to to the the Father, and to the Son, and and to to the the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now and And will will be be forever. forever. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here ends the lesson. Our service continues on page 86 of the Book of Common Prayer. Canticle 9, the first song of Isaiah. Please pray it with us. Surely it It is is God who saves saves me. me. I I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense, and he will be my savior. 
therefore you shall draw water with rejoicing from the springs of salvation. And on that day you shall say, Give thanks to the Lord, and call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. See that they remember that his name is exalted. Sing the praises of the Lord, for he has done great things, and this is known in all the world. Cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion, ring out your joy, for the Great One in the midst of you is the Holy One of Israel. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is from the book of Romans, chapter 5. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here ends the reading. Our prayers continue on page 90, Canticle 14, A Song of Penitence. Please pray it together with us. O Lord and And ruler of of the hosts of heaven, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of all their righteous offspring, you made the heavens and the earth with all their vast array. All things quake with fear at your presence. They tremble because of your power. But your merciful promise is beyond all measure. It surpasses all that our minds can fathom. O Lord, you are full of compassion, long-suffering, and abounding in mercy. You hold back your hand. You do not punish as we deserve. In your great goodness, Lord, you have promised forgiveness to sinners, that they may repent of their sin and be saved. And now, O Lord, I bend the knee of my heart and make my appeal, sure of your gracious goodness. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned, and I know my wickedness only too well. Therefore I make this prayer to you. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Do not let me perish in my sin, nor condemn me to the depths of the earth. For you, O Lord, are the God of those who repent, and in me you will show forth your goodness. Unworthy as I am, you will save me in accordance with your great mercy. And I will praise you without ceasing 
all the days of my life. For all the powers of heaven sing your praises, and yours is the glory to ages of ages. Amen. The Gospel reading from John chapter 4. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or, Why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of our Lord.
The service continues on page 96 with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Suffrages B on page 98. Please pray with us. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern and uphold them, now and always. Day by day we bless you. We praise your name forever. Lord, keep us from all sin today. Have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy. For we put our trust in you. In you, Lord, is our hope. And we shall never hope in vain. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, giver of life and health, comfort and relieve your sick servants, and give your power of healing to those who minister to their, to their needs, that those for whom our prayers are offered may be strengthened in their weakness and have confidence in you in your loving care. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. And hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Two monks were once traveling together down a muddy road. A heavy rain was still falling down. 
and coming around a bend, they met a lovely woman, beautifully dressed. She was unable to cross the intersection. Come on now, said one of the monks at once, and lifting her in his arms, he carried her over the mud. And once they got to the other side of the intersection, he put her down and he bid her farewell. The other monk did not speak again until that night, when they had finally reached their destination. Then he could no longer restrain himself. We monks don't go near women, especially not young and lovely ones. It's dangerous. Why did you do that? The monk who had helped the woman replied, My brother, I put the woman down, and I left her back there. Why are you still carrying her around? The one monk assumed the worst about the other monk, and he got hung up on his false assumptions. He made a snap judgment without getting the whole story, without truly taking the time to consider the actual intentions of the other monk. Clearly, he had his own unresolved issues around lust, which the monk who had helped the woman wisely revealed by the end. The purity of the one monk's actions and the words and his words unveiled the hypocrisy behind the other monk's assumptions. In many ways, the story about the Samaritan woman unveils how we all tend to assume the worst about people and subsequently misinterpret situations. In more ways than one, this Samaritan woman is like the monk who happily helps somebody across a muddy intersection. And, in more ways than one, we in the church are like the judgmental, stewing monk, failing to see how much we are projecting our own brokenness onto somebody else. And here's some questions for you. Why do you think that this Samaritan woman in the story is at the well by herself in the middle of the day? Why do you think she's been married five times? And what do you assume about the non-marital relationship that she is currently in at the time of talking to Jesus? And who do you think is the main character of this story? Is this story mostly about Jesus or is it mostly about the woman? As great as Jesus is, I'm not so sure that he actually wants the spotlight in this story. Yes, it's true that Jesus was being defiantly feministic and radically countercultural in this passage. The Israelites and the Samaritans, they really hated each other. So it's a big deal that Jesus intentionally goes directly into Samaritan territory as a Jewish person, undeterred by all of this history of hatred and animosity. And what's even more radical is that Jesus actually sits down to have a conversation with a Samaritan person. And what is even more radical than this is that Jesus sits down to talk to a Samaritan woman. It was highly frowned upon for Jewish men to talk to women in public to begin with, but it would have been incredibly scandalous and offensive for him to actually sit down and to interact with a Samaritan woman. John tells us that Jesus' disciples were astonished at the mere sight of the two of them together. Why? Samaritan women were believed by Israel's male religious leadership to be perpetually impure. There's an ancient text that actually labels Samaritan women as being menstruants from the cradle. 
In other words, all Samaritan women were believed to have been in a constant state of menstruation, which would have made them ritually unclean in the Israelites' eyes. But more than this, this would have also meant that anyone else who interacted with these Samaritan women or touched them or shared a cup with them would have also been perceived as unclean as well. Some men even made a rule that discouraged people from sitting down on the same couch as a Samaritan woman because they, they believed that this action would have automatically made the person sitting down impure as well. <laughs> but in comes Jesus, bursting through all of these cultural and religious rules and assumptions. Jesus sits where this Samaritan woman is sitting. He asks to share a cup of water with her. It's either he doesn't mind being made unclean by her, or he doesn't believe that she's unclean to begin with. Whatever the case may be, he clearly does not mind how all of this is going to look to the people who are watching. But here's the thing that often gets omitted when people try to explain this story, to unpack it. This countercultural conversation was not one-sided. It was just as scandalous for the Samaritan woman to be seen with Jesus as it was for him to be seen with her. In fact, more was at stake for her. She was a woman in a culture and during a time when women had virtually no rights, when women were stoned in the streets for merely being accused of being promiscuous. And this scandalous event happened right in the middle of her town, not Jesus' town, her town where everyone who knew her could see and potentially judge her because of what was going on. She was the more courageous one in so many ways. And there was something about this conversation with Jesus that she chose to risk it all for. Now John notes that Jesus came and he sat down with a Samaritan woman around noon. Every single time I've heard this passage preached on, the preacher always tries to explain that the woman is at the well in the middle of the day, the so-called hottest part of the day, because she is basically seen as a whore by the other women of the village. The assumption is often made about the Samaritan this assumption is often made about the Samaritan woman because she has had five husbands, and the worst is also assumed about her current relationship that she's had that she has at the time of talking to Jesus with a man who is not her husband. These preachers never stop to consider other possible explanations for this woman's situation. They never stop to ask if maybe their own brokenness is causing them to assume the worst about her. They just assume that she's a promiscuous woman who cheated on her five husbands or who broke her five marriages. And they just assume that she's now living a life of rampant fornication in her current non-marital relationship. And because of all of these assumptions, it's assumed that the other women in the village went to the well in the morning during the coolest part of the day to draw water, but that this sinful, so-called sinful woman had been shunned by all of the other women because of her sexual sins. And this is what it is that causes her to go to the well all by herself during the so-called hottest part of the day. My friends, this way of interpreting this story, it has a name. Would you like to know what it's called? Misogyny. 
It's nothing more than the vague assumption that the woman is somehow at fault in this story, that the woman is, has somehow done something wrong and deserves to be there by herself during that time of day. But there are numerous problems with interpreting the story in this way. For one, at no point does Jesus ever draw any attention to her so-called sin. And Jesus was a person who had no problem whatsoever calling people out on their sin and commanding them to repent. If this woman is such a sinful person, why doesn't he tell her to repent, to stop sinning? It's a sexist perspective that just automatically assumes that she was living in sin. And it's male chauvinism that just assumes that the woman slept around that it was her fault that her five marriages failed, and that she was being immoral in her current relationship. What if all of her previous husbands died? Is that not a plausible explanation? Or what if it was her previous husbands who were the ones who had affairs and left her? Are not these equally as plausible of explanations? Why is it just assumed that the woman is at fault? And to be clear, just because a woman is living with a man, it does not necessitate that she is doing anything sinful with that man. Jesus is not accusing this woman of sin, nor should we. But because we Christians have become so accustomed to assuming the worst about this woman, we've utterly misinterpreted the point that John is trying to get at in telling us this story. The time of day does matter. It's important that John notes it, but John doesn't note the time to highlight the woman's sinfulness. Quite the contrary. This story is the flip side of last week's gospel reading, if you can recall, the one where Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus. And when we put these two stories side by side, we actually see why the whole conversation that the Samaritan woman has with Jesus happens at noon. When, if you can recall, when did Nicodemus come to talk to Jesus? What time of day was it? Nicodemus came in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus. Nicodemus, this well-respected religious leader, a Pharisee, wants to have a secret conversation in the dark with Jesus where no one can hear him, where no one can see him, where no one can judge him for what he is doing. Jesus, on the other hand, wants to have a conversation with an unclean Samaritan woman, and she wants to have a conversation with him in the fullness of the light of day, at noon, when the sun is the highest in the sky, when it is, when it is the most light outside. Nicodemus talks to Jesus in the dark. The Samaritan woman talks to Jesus in the light. But the symbolism is even richer than this. Nicodemus is left in the dark. He never understands anything that Jesus says, and he walks away with no understanding, unenlightened. He is the monk who cannot see the failings of his own false assumptions. The Samaritan woman, on the other hand, she understands. She does not remain in the dark. She leaves enlightened. But more than this, she unveils to all of us who read her story how enlightened or how misguided our perceptions are. She's like the monk who unveiled the mistaken assumptions of the other monk. 
She unveils to all of us who read her story how much we tend to project our own brokenness and baggage onto other people. Because of this, Christians would go on to give her the name Fotini, which means enlightened one, because they are also enlightened by this story of her. And they would go on to give her the title Equal Among the Apostles, because she went out and converted entire villages and towns to Jesus' movement. It's even said that she went on to convert Emperor Nero's daughter and hundreds of slaves in Rome. In pairing these two stories together, John wants us to pick up on the subtext that the religious male leaders, like Nicodemus, don't get what Jesus' movement is all about. But someone like the despised and the marginalized Samaritan woman does. Our service continues on page 102. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you live in the Beloit, Wisconsin area, and if you are looking for a new church home or faith community, we would love to have you stop in and visit us. We are at 212 West Grand Avenue in downtown Beloit. Our Sunday morning Eucharistic gatherings are in the main sanctuary at 10 a.m. We also have two additional services during the week, morning prayer from the Book of Common Prayer on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. This group meets in the library, and we have a Wednesday Eucharistic gathering that meets at noon in the garden room. Lastly, our contemplative prayer group and children's ministry meets on Monday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. Children are not just welcome to come to our Monday night gatherings, but are welcome to come to any and all of our services. We have a special kids' pew in the back of our sanctuary where kids can play, roam, read, snack, and learn in the context of our liturgical community. Nursery and Children's Church is also available for those parents who would like to drop their kids off before the service begins. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, you don't have to know anything about churchy stuff or Christianity to fully participate in any of our services. Feel free to come with your doubts, your heartaches, and your most genuine self. Feel free to ask questions to fumble along or to pretend like you know what is going on. Please come as you are and watch as God's grace transforms you into the person you've always wanted to be. Thank you for joining us today.